Brothers and sisters, please turn with me to our text this morning, which comes from 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, as we'll be looking at verses 9 through 12. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 9 through 12. Hear with me then the ring of God's holy and inerrant word. Now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. For that indeed is what you are doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. But we urge you, brothers, to do this more and more, and to aspire to live quietly, and to mind your own affairs, and to work with your hands as we have instructed you so that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. Thus far as the ring of God's Word. Anyone who says that Christian living isn't important has not spent any time in this here Paul's epistle. Because Paul, throughout this letter, but most especially as we have seen in chapter 4, places a heavy emphasis upon Christian living. And some of those reasons that we've said thus far why Christian living is so important in our study here at 1 Thessalonians is that Paul says that living a, a, a life pleasing to God is a sign to ourselves. Living a life pleasing to God is a sign to ourselves that we are God's chosen people. Because apart from the Spirit working in our lives, we could not do it. We could not maintain the Christian life, especially in the face of trial and persecution. Paul also wants the saints to see the importance of living the Christian life for it is a means of strengthening the other saints. Right? Living the Christian life strengthens the faith and encourages other saints. We've seen this in chapter 3 with Paul, didn't we? When Timothy comes back and, and brings that report that the saints have not been seduced by the tempter. And Paul's overwhelmed with joy. Right? He is encouraged and comforted by this. Right? So, maintaining the Christian life strengthens the faith and encourages the saints. Yet, another reason Paul says that Christian living is so important is because it is God's will for our lives. Just a couple weeks ago, we read that in chapter 4. Paul says, For this is the will of God for you, your sanctification. And so now today in our text we will read another reason why living the Christian life is so important. And the reason Paul provides for us that living the Christian life is so important is so that we will walk properly before outsiders. That we will walk properly before unbelievers. And so Paul says it's important that we grow more and more in sanctification so that we accurately reflect the love of Christ to the outside world. It's important that we maintain Christian living so as to not give the unbelieving world the chance to mock and to ridicule and to blaspheme our God. And so the way that we do this is to not only live this way before our God, we do not only do this before our brothers, before the other saints, 
but we are also to conduct ourselves in a manner pleasing to God before the outside world. But this shouldn't be a surprise to us, brothers and sisters, should it? That God calls us to live the Christian life before the outside world. It shouldn't be a surprise to us that God calls us to do the very thing that we've been called to, live the Christian life. And it is just that. It is a life. The Christian life isn't just something that we put on as we come to church on Sunday. As we we put on our, our suits and our slacks or we put on our dresses and we come to church. It isn't a persona that we throw on as we gather together. It's not a, a character that we that we put on as we go and hang out during the week with our brothers and sisters. No, it is who we are to be at all times and in all circumstances and in every condition, no matter who it is we are spending time with, believer or unbeliever alike. And we shouldn't expect any less of a standard from a God who calls us to holiness and to purity. Because of, as we have seen elsewhere, those who simply put on the religious persona, who want to appear spiritual before certain people, or those who, who put on the religious persona on certain days of the week, that this is detestable in the sight of God. Right? Is this not the very thing that drew the ire of our Lord Jesus Christ in Matthew 24? Is this not what He condemns the Pharisees for before all the people? In Matthew 23, verse 2, Jesus speaking to the crowd says this, The scribes and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. So do and observe whatever they tell you, but not the works they do. For they preach, but they do not practice. And then Jesus goes on to pronounce these seven woes upon the scribes and the Pharisees as He points out, point after point, of all of their hypocrisy. You see, God detests the hypocrite because hypocrisy leads others astray. Hypocrisy causes those who follow the hypocrite to be shut out of the kingdom of heaven. And so this is why it is so important to maintain the Christian life always. Because, brothers and sisters, we are always being watched. People are always watching us in every circumstance to see how it is that we conduct ourselves. How many people have we been in conversation with? Or maybe you, you've told them a little bit of, about your background and they, they tell you a little bit about theirs and they say, yeah, I grew up in a Christian household. My parents said they were Christians. We, they took us to, to church every week. But my dad would physically or verbally abuse my mother or my, my father was a drunkard or my, my parents would have uh, you know extramarital affairs upon, on one another. And this is the Christianity that they grew up seeing. And so this is what they associate Christianity with. Hypocrisy. And they want no parts of it. And what do we expect someone to think who sees this continually? They think to themselves, I don't want any part of this because I don't want any part of a God who would allow His people to behave in such a way. This is why it's so important to be pursuing holiness in everything that we do. In all relationships, whether that's parents to children, employers to employees, grandparents to grandchildren, neighbor to neighbor. Because we are never to be the cause of stumbling for our neighbor, whether that's a a Christian or, or unbeliever. And so this is 
brothers and sisters, is what we want to look at more specifically this morning. How it is we are called to walk before the unbelieving world. And so we'll briefly touch on these four ways that Paul calls upon us to walk before unbelievers. And so the first is we are called to to walk in love. Secondly, to live a quiet life. Third, to mind our own affairs. And fourth, to work. So it is love, living quietly, minding our own affairs, and working. And if you think about it, this is quite an important topic, isn't it? One that we need much instruction on. Because if you think about it, how much time we actually spend in church compared to outside church, there's a vast difference, isn't there? We might spend two, three, four hours in church, but we spend all the other time outside of church in the world. What is there? 24 hour, 24 hours in a day. 168 hours in a week. And so we might spend, what, four hours here? 164 hours outside of church? And so it's vitally important that we understand how God calls upon us to conduct ourselves not only as His gathered people here in the presence of our Lord, but also as we are called to go forth into the world and to reflect that holy character of God, how we are to conduct ourselves then before outsiders, no matter what activity it is that we are engaged in. And so the first thing that Paul exhorts the saints to is to love. Here in verse 9 he says, Now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you. For you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. For that indeed is what you are doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. But we urge you, brothers, to do this more and more. You see, brothers and sisters, loving one another is a way in which we walk properly before unbelievers. But that love that Paul speaks of isn't just any kind of love, is it? No, he says it's a a brotherly love. A brotherly love. And this Greek word for brotherly love means Philadelphia. And doesn't that make a connection for you there? What's Philadelphia called? The city of brotherly love, right? That's how they got their name. It was William Penn, back in, I believe, 1701, who coined the term Philadelphia for the city. And he did so as a, as a Quaker. He was seeking a place where he could go and worship without being persecuted, where others could go and worship freely. And so he named the city Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. And so that's how it gets its name. And so it's this type of love, love that we would show towards our brother that Paul is exhorting the saints to today. And to show it to even a a greater degree. And if we think about it, don't we all need that exhortation to love one another with a brotherly love? Because many of us have experienced how hard it is to actually love one another with a brotherly love. As This past week was evidence to us of that, wasn't it? As we spend time with our our families on Thanksgiving. It's easy to love people when they're far away, isn't it? When your correspondence is maybe by phone once in a while, by text message, by email, maybe you you send them the occasional birthday present. But then when you you get together with them and you're, you're stuck in that little stuffy room together for hours upon hours, you remembered why your love grew for them as they moved away. Right? And it's because brotherly love takes work. Brotherly love is hard. 
Right? It takes it takes work to love it with brotherly love those who seem not worthy of love or those who get on our nerves and those who annoy us. But guess what, brothers and brothers and sisters? That is our, our call to love one another with a brotherly love. This is the same word that Paul uses in Romans chapter twelve, verse ten, when he tells the saints, Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection or brotherly love. Outdo one another in showing honor. This is that love Paul's talking about. Right? Genuine love and concern for one another. Outdoing one another in honor and respect. Loving one another in the church as we would love our own close sibling. Right? And what type of love is it that we love them with? When we think of brotherly love, what, it, what, what, what comes to mind? It's that type of love that would do anything for them. It's the type of love that would, is willing to do anything for them, that seeks their good at every turn. This is the love that we ought to be showing one another, to displaying to the outside world. If we hope to have any effect on the world, that's the type of love that they need to see. Because that love is a love that's peculiar to them. It's a love that they don't often see. What we shouldn't be doing is loving each other like we hate each other. Right? Loving each other like we can't stand to be here with one another, but we just come anyway because God forces us to be together. Right? The world already sees that kind of love. That love will have no effect upon the world. Right? Because they've experienced that kind of love. They experience the, the type of love that says, I love you, but, but those type of people just try to suck everything out of them and then they abandon them. That's the kind of love that the, this world experiences. But what a powerful effect this brotherly love can have upon the world when they see brothers and sisters who aren't trying to take anything from one another, but rather voluntarily and happily are giving of ourselves to one another. Right? What a powerful effect that has upon the world. Right? This uh, appears strange to people when they see that kind of love. A kind of love that, that looks away from self and towards others. And people will find this attractive. And it's going to cause them to come up to you and say, how do you guys, how does that work with you guys? Like, how, how can you possibly love each other in such a fashion? And that gives you opportunity to, to tell them about the gospel and to proclaim to them Christ. And the only reason that we are able to do it because we have the Holy Spirit. And so, brothers and sisters, we must strive here to love one another as close siblings. Because the matter of fact is, in actuality, we are brothers and sisters. If you are a Christian, we are brothers and sisters. We have the very same Father. What a great reality that is. For so many Christians around the whole world are probably only children. Some of you here today might be only children. But if you are a Christian, you have myriads upon myriads of brothers and sisters. And you ought to love them as they are your real brother and sister. And they ought to love you in like manner, as if you were biologically related. Right? That's the brotherly love that we are called to. And so we do well to heed the words of the author of Hebrews in chapter 13, verse 1, when he says, let brotherly love continue. Let brotherly love continue. Brothers and sisters, let brotherly love abound here more and more may it increase amongst us. 
And in loving each other in such a way, we are walking properly before the outside world. Now, another way that we walk properly before the outside world, Paul says, is by living quietly. Here's point number two. In verse 11, Paul says that we are to aspire to live quietly. Now, we live in a world that is constantly on the go, isn't it? We are constantly doing things. And we see this especially with our children. And as Christians, we ourselves are probably as guilty as anyone else of doing this. Right? We fill our kids' schedules to the very brim. Right? They go to school. From school they go to sport or they go to some sort of musical lesson or some group. And from there they come home and they eat and do chores and do homework and go to bed and they do it all over again. Five, six days a week. Constantly. No breaks. Even we as parents. Right? We fill our, our schedules are filled up. We have no room to do anything else but what's on our schedule. We have to go to work. Then we take kids here. We do this. We clean this part of the house. We do that. And we go to sleep and we wake up and we do it all over again. Right? And we feel like something's wrong if we aren't doing something. If we're not involved in something, we feel like we're missing out. We live in a culture where it seems that we, we try to outdo one another in how busy we can become. Not sure. I've heard these type of conversations. I'm not sure if any of you have, but you hear two people talk and someone will say, oh, I've, I'm so busy. I'm so tired. And they rattle off all the things they did for the, in their day. And then the person who's listening to them goes, oh, you were busy, but I was even busier. Listen to what, all what I did and why I'm so tired today. But is this virtuous? Is it virtuous to be unceasingly busy? Is this what as Christians we are called to do? Mimicking the world and having a fear that our schedule may have an empty spot, not filled up with hustle and bustle, with coming and going? No, I don't think so. This isn't the life that we've been called to. Brothers and sisters, it's okay to live an ordinary life. It's okay to live an ordinary life. We don't have to keep up with the world. We don't always have to be going and going and going. And from experience myself, and perhaps some of you likewise will, can amen this, some of the most productive and most beneficial and best moments that I've had, and I'm sure some of you had, is when we just stop. Some of the best, most beneficial, and most productive times in our lives is when we have just stopped. When we've sat quietly and read the Word. When we've gone off into our room for an hour and prayed when we've laid in bed looking at the ceiling, just meditating and contemplating the Word of God. Those are some of the best and most productive times. Now to the world, that seems boring. And they hate it. But they hate it because they don't want to be left to their own thoughts. Because then they start thinking, well, what is the purpose of life? Who is God? What's going to become of me when I die? And they don't want to think those thoughts. And so they're restless. But quiet is a good thing. It's a good. Not only is it a good thing, it's a godly thing. A quiet living is a godly thing. Quietness of life, quietness of spirit. This God approves. And what is it that would cause Paul to tell the, the saints in Thessalonica to live this quiet life? Well, as we'll see later, some of the, the Thessalonians have been have have been become uh, becoming concerned about the impending return of Christ. They think it's imminent. He could be coming at any moment. And so what have they done? They've quit working. They've quit tending to their own affairs. 
And they become busybodies, no longer living the quiet life. Worrying about preparing and being ready for any moment when Christ returns. Stirring up unrest and becoming a burden upon others. And we might think of them as, as modern day preppers. Modern day preppers. Remember, being a prepper was like a big thing a few years ago. We even had a, a TV show on, on prepping where people, you know, would build underground bungalows and they would, they would stock up on bottled water and generators and canned products, guns and ammunition, right? Telling everyone they ought to be doing the same thing because the, the end of the world could be coming soon, right? Creating a big stir, telling everyone how we ought to be preparing. This is what I would, I would liken the Thessalonians to here. Modern day preppers. But what was Paul's warning to them? Paul's warning was stop doing this. Don't do it. Go about your life quietly. Don't cause problems. Don't busy yourselves with activities that add no value. And so in the course of trying to correct their understanding of the eschatological return of Christ, Paul tells them to continue in the manner of life which they have been called to. He says simply, just keep doing what you're doing. Don't change anything up. Aspire just to live quietly before the outside world. This is the way in which we walk properly before outsiders. Yet that's not all that Paul tells them. He also tells them to mind their own affairs. Here is point three. Paul says, aspire to live quietly and mind your own affairs. Or it can be translated, do your own business. Mind your own affairs or do your own business. And it's the idea of not meddling in other people's business, but rather living the life that God has assigned you to. If God has blessed you with wife and kids and job and work, spend your time in those things. Spend your time with your wife. Spend your time raising up your children. Spend your time doing the work God has called you to. Spend your time at those appointed hours in church with your brothers and sisters. Now, that doesn't mean that we can't be concerned for one another, that we can't ask what's going on in each other's life. That's a part of brotherly love. But what it means is that we're not to be interjecting ourselves in the business of others that does not belong to us. We're not to interject ourselves in areas that we have no business sticking our nose. And we've all probably experienced the person who wants to know what's going on in everyone's life. Right? They go around trying to get the gossip from everyone so that they know each detail about everyone's life. Right? But if they were minding their own affairs, they wouldn't have time to be so busy worrying about what's going on in everyone else's life. They'd be concerned living quietly, not causing trouble, tending to their own work. And in doing so, brothers and sisters, this is how we get a good name. When we do these things, this is how we get a good name before the outside world. And a good name is what we should aspire to. A good name is what we should want. This is what Scripture says. Proverbs chapter 22, verse 1. A good name is to be chosen rather than great riches. Now, isn't this opposite to the way the world thinks? Any one of us can go out walking around on the streets and ask people. We give you two options. You can have a, a good name. Now, you might be poor. 
You might be middle class, you might be rich. No guarantee on that. But you will have a good name. Or, you can have a terrible name. You'll be looked at as a, a meddler, a busybody. Right? Someone who brings shame to the Lord. But you'll be a millionaire for the rest of your days. Which one do you think they'll pick? Now go to churches and ask the same question. Do you think the answer will be any different? Brothers and sisters, we, are, we should desire to have a good name. And the way in which we have a good name is by minding our own affairs. Right? By not meddling in other people's business and living quietly and loving one another. Right? Not only before the church then we'll have a good name, but we'll have a good name within the broader community, within broader society. Right? And that doesn't mean that we have to become like the world to have a good name. You don't have to become like the world to have a good name. In fact, it's in, it's in uh, living consistently with your profession that will be respected by others. Right? The world might not like you as a Christian who lives consistently with what you profess, but they will respect you. They say that person lives just as they profess. Right? You will have a good name. It's, it's, it's the Christian who lives like the world that the, that the world loves, but deep down inside they don't respect that type of person. They don't respect the person who has no convictions and who doesn't live as they profess. And so we do well, brothers and sisters, to pursue a, a good name, to tend to our own affairs if we want to be a witness before the world. But there is one other thing which Paul says we are to do before the world. And this brings us to our last point. Paul says that not only are we to love with a brotherly love, not only are we to live quietly, not only are we to tend to our own affairs, but we are to work with our own hands. And Paul himself was careful to do this. As you recall earlier in chapter 2, verse 9, what do we read? For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil, we work night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaim the gospel to God. I'm not sure if there's anything more off-putting than an able-bodied person who's a sluggard. I'm not sure if there's anything more off-putting than that. Someone who's just lazy, who has every ability to get out and work and just chooses to sit around and do nothing. And in fact, what does Scripture speak of such a person? Such a person is living in sin. Such a person, we are told, is worse than the infidel, is worse than the unbeliever. Right? Paul writes to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 8, But if anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for members of his own household, he's denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Paul says to not work and to not provide for your family is akin to rejecting the faith. It's akin to rejecting Christ. Because this type of person becomes a burden on others. They're unprofitable to society. And they become dependent on everyone else. And what is starting to happen in Thessalonica? This very thing. For people have quit their jobs. They've quit tending to their own affairs as they're getting ready for the return of the Lord. And so what have they become? They start to become burdens upon others. 
because they're not working. So now they need help from others. And Paul says this is not how we as Christians are to live. Yes, Christians are to to readily help one another. And I'm sure everyone here would be more than willing to help someone who's out there busting their tail. But maybe things have just not fallen their way. They, they, you know, they've had car troubles. Uh, uh, they've got injured. They have this trouble, this trouble, and bills start to stack up. I think every one of us would, would love to help such a person like that. Right? Myself, I've been a recipient of such help as that. When I had my work injury five years ago, and we're navigating the workman's comp process, the church we were attending, we weren't even members. They came to my house and they said, give us bill, bills, give us a bill that's going to help you and we're going to pay it so that you can get through to the next month when your workman's comp comes in. Right? That's brotherly love, isn't it? Right? I know of others who fell upon hard times, a hard-working family, but fell upon hard times. And the church paid their mortgage that month so that they could get back onto their feet the next. Right? That's brotherly love, brothers and sisters. Right? That's how we ought to be willing to help one another. Right? But what we ought not to be doing is sitting around, spending all day watching TV, when we're able to get out and get a job, no matter how much or how little it pays. Right? The person who does such a thing should not even think to consider themselves a Christian. Right? This is sin. We are called to, to work We are called to work diligently no matter what God has called us to. Whether that's working out in the office at a a warehouse in a field or working at home. We are called to work diligently. And this is how we walk properly before outsiders. And ultimately, why should this matter to us? Why should it matter to us to walk properly before outsiders? Well, John tells us in 1 John 2, verse 6, Whoever abides in Him, that is Christ, are to walk in the same way that He walked. You see, brothers and sisters, if we say that we are Christians, we ought to be imitating Christ in our walk. And look at the impact that Christ had upon the world. He has impacted millions upon millions as they have been saved through His life. And now as His body, through faith in Christ, we are called to imitate Him so that we might be used by God as His instruments of righteousness to bring others to Christ through our lives, through our profession of faith, through consistency of living. But that will not happen if you're lazy. It will not happen if you are a sluggard, if you're a busybody, if you're a meddler, if you're unloving. You will not impact anyone. This rather brings shame upon the name of God. This is what Paul says to those Jews who boasted in the law, but who did not heed the instruction of the law themselves. Paul says in Romans chapter 2, verse 24, For it is written, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. May that not be said about us here. May God's name not be blasphemed because of us. But rather, let us look to the example that Peter sets forth of the godly wife to the unbelieving spouse in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 1, when he says, Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husband, so that even if they do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see their respectful and pure conduct. 
This is that same principle that Paul is teaching all of us here today. He says, Christian, walk properly before outsiders so that in seeing your brotherly love, in seeing your quiet living, in seeing your tending to your own affairs and working hard, in seeing that pure conduct and holy living, that it would be attractive to them. That they would see the consistency of your speech and your walk. That they might see the powerful work of the Gospel in your life being put on display and that God may use that. That He may use your profitable life and your good name as a means to drawing others to His kingdom for His own praise, glory, and honor. Please bow your heads with me in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You for the, uh, the Apostle Paul. We thank You, Father, that You have kept this Word intact providentially for Your people. We pray, Lord, that as uh, we so often fail in walking well before outsiders, that You, Father, through the work of Your Spirit, would help us to uh, walk in a manner that is pleasing before God, not only before our brothers and sisters, not only in your midst as we worship here and gather on the Lord's Day, but that we would do so before the outside world, that God's name would not be blasphemed before because of us, but rather in seeing our pure conduct and holy living, seeing that it is consistent with our profession of faith, Father, that you might use it to bring others into the kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And so we come before you and we ask all these things in Christ's name we pray. Amen.